And today's message I've called Free to Stay. Uh, today we're looking at Acts 16. Uh, I've got to say, reading through Acts, seeing the teaching through it, uh, it can seem fast-paced, but we have to remember that there are no cars, trains, or planes, uh, just feet, maybe sailing ships, uh, maybe a donkey or some other animal to ride. Uh, many years and miles have gone by. Uh, Paul and his companions are continuing on what we call his second missionary journey. Um, we're now approximately 20 years after the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, 20 years after the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, empowering the disciples to live in love, live out and spread the good news of Jesus and his kingdom, to bring healing, freedom, and transformation. It's been 16 years since the stoning of Stephen and the wave of persecution that broke out against the believers. And it's been about 15 years since the chief persecutor, Saul, uh, encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus back in Acts 9. That event began his 180-degree change from savage persecutor of the church into Paul, a powerfully spirit-led, bold, profound, and passionate apostle of Jesus. So just to try to... Uh, we'll be looking at uh, Acts 16, uh, 16 to 40, which you can either look up in your Bible or on your device. Sandy Henry can look it up on her phone now, so... Yeah, incorporate, incorporate new things to lead us closer to God. So on this map, um, take a look here. This is kind of the first part of chapter 16. Um, Paul and Silas leave Antioch over here. Middle, what will that be? Your middle, middle right. Okay, right, left. Um, they uh, reached Derby and Lystra. There, Paul invites a young disciple, Timothy, to join him. Yes, that's the Timothy of First and Second Timothy in the Bible. Paul later writes letters to. They minister from town to town, and churches were strengthened in the faith. They traveled northwest, having been kept by the Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia, where Paul had been before. So there's a do not enter. That's a that's a hand there. Do not enter. Uh, we're told the Spirit of Jesus uh, didn't let them go there. The Holy Spirit uh, kept them from preaching the word in, in Asia, even though Paul had been there before. So, let's go north. Uh, and they uh, try to enter Bithynia, another Roman province up there, kind of right in the, the top middle. But the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. Now, there's some negative leading to consider. Sometimes God closes doors. So then they continued to Troas, kind of a yellow and black dot up there in the middle. That was not the easiest alternate route uh, to head to Troas, but that's where they headed. Sometimes doors are barely open. But there, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia in the middle of the night. He had this vision man of Macedonia, begging, come over and help us. Paul told his companions about the vision, and their response, 
we got ready at once, it says, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel in Macedonia. So Paul had shared his vision with his companions, and they decided that's where God was calling them. This was new. They were taking the gospel to Europe. They sailed from Troas to Neapolis, at the very top, and then traveled to Philippi, the leading Roman city of that district and a crossroads city to the nations north and west. Now, Paul's team would start ministry in a new city by looking for the Jewish community, but they didn't find a synagogue in Roman Philippi. Probably meant there were fewer than ten Jewish men in that, uh, in that community. So on the Sabbath, they went outside the city looking for a place of prayer by the river. They found such a place and began speaking to the women gathered there. One of them was a worshiper of God named Lydia, probably a convert to Judaism. Um, but there she was, the place of prayer. Lydia was a dealer in purple cloth. And that means she was likely wealthy and respected. Purple cloth, the dye that made purple cloth was, uh, was expensive. It was a thing, you know, to, to have that colored cloth. So, uh, Lydia, uh, with the, the Holy Spirit leading, the Lord, it says, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. She and her household were baptized. And then Paul and company were invited to stay at her house. Uh, she could have been a persuasive lady, uh, being in business. Well, they did end up staying at her house. And then we'll pick up reading at verse 16 of Acts 16. So, this is Luke writing, and uh, back in, just backtrack, there's a lot made of the uh, use of the word we when we decided to go to Macedonia. Uh, that uh, The general thought is Luke has now joined this group. And so Luke continues to write here. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. Now, we could go into why she was saying this and why Paul got annoyed, but that's, that's a whole other teaching. We could probably teach a, a message or explore every single verse here for an hour, but uh, we, we better not do that. In any case, Paul had commanded this spirit to leave her, and it did. Now, when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates, the Roman leaders, and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. What they 
meant, let me translate that, they took our slave fortune teller away. So, you know, what they said was sort of true, but not really. Yes, Jews, but now following the way of Jesus, proclaiming his name and his kingdom, proclaiming him as Messiah. At least to start within the mainly Jewish sub-communities they encounter. They are also, Paul and Silas, they are also Roman citizens, not to be subject to mob rule. There are laws that apply, but never let the truth dissuade the mob. Verse uh, 22, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. Crowds are always good for that, right? And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer commanded to guard them, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. Okay, this is not a scene out of Get Smart, where Maxwell Smart quips, it's the old put them in the inner cell and fasten their feet in the stocks trick. Now, um, you know, where where the scene would evolve and uh, Maxwell Smart and Agent 99 are in the dungeon, locked in the stocks, and suddenly Max is peeling a rubber back protector off. He hasn't actually been beaten, and he pulls his, he stands up. He has, you know, uh, control-issued fake legs. If any of you followed that show... You know, that's their, that's their spy agency. There are fake legs left in the stocks, and he's up, and 99 is going, Max, how did you do that? Well, you're equipped with that stuff, too. Oh, I wondered why my back didn't hurt. No, this isn't something like that. This isn't fake. This was very real. I'm sorry if, if my humor is inappropriate there, but it's no laughing matter. This was no laughing matter. It's plain to see in our reading They had been beaten with rods, severely flogged, think tortured, illegally as they were Roman citizens, and that process was completely ignored, tortured for casting the demonic spirit out of a female slave and being set upon by her owners and a mob. That's to start. Then the jailer is told to guard them carefully. Implied here is... And if you don't guard them carefully, you know what will happen to you. Roman jailers had their responsibilities. With that motivation, the jailer does his job and maybe goes a little beyond, who knows. He puts them in the inner cell, fastened in stocks. The the inner cell or dungeon, some Bible translations have it, was not designed to be nice. Nothing like the guest accommodations at Lydia's house, I'm sure. No daylight, no fresh air, and possibly being, possibly being the lowest place in the prison. The collection point for, or a channel anyway, for all that would come out of the prisoners and be washed away, if indeed they washed away things. And I'm sure even the, the jailer and any uh, of his guards uh, would want to keep things at least a little bit clean for themselves. Now, Roman engineering was good. If any of you have read or seen or visited Roman sites, uh, 
they had, you know, aqueducts and sewer systems, and heated floor systems. Uh, good, even amazing technology. Uh, but this was a prison. Uh, this was potentially a low point in, in the prison. Uh, and let's not forget about the stocks. Uh, historical understanding would have them locked on the floor, either, you know, just sitting with, on their legs straight, sitting up, very uncomfortable, seated position, or lying on their severely flogged backs. Remember, think, tortured, in the dark. I've never been in a position like that, and I'm guessing most of us haven't. Um, I can think of prisoner of war situations. Um, maybe you know one. I don't, you know, I've heard their stories, but I've never been there. That was for dark and painful points in life. I've been in the hospital a few times with kidney stones, back and flank pain that will not be subdued. I think, oh, it's my back. No, it's not my back. It's a kidney stone, and there's no stretching, no nothing that will relieve that pain. Um, only pain meds and procedures have gotten me past those episodes. I know, I know some of you have endured health situations. Um, maybe going through something now, but, you know, for the most part, we've had clean hospitals. Caring providers, medications, and advanced technologies to help us. Are they perfect? No. Do I, would I love to see the miraculous? Well, perhaps some of our technologies are miraculous. I'm, I'm happy to, uh, see a kidney stone disappear as well as, uh, have it move on through with uh, the assist of medical technology as well. Uh, so perfect, no, but amazing what we have available, yes. Better than the inner cell in stocks. Uh, I, I'll, I'll take anything that I've been through uh, any day over that. You know, do, we need, do we even need to answer that question? You know, it's, and it's not to minimize anything, whether it's health, family situations, work situations, living in a neighborhood, you've got neighbors, anything. I'm not trying to minimize anything that we go through. Um, but how do we respond when things get painful and dark and stinky? Are we free to stay in God's power, or do we want out? So verse 25. Um, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. I don't know if that would be my response, but it was theirs. Now, it's highly likely that the other prisoners didn't know the one true God that they were praying to and singing hymns to. But culturally, it's also likely they would have respected Paul and Silas for their response in this setting, offering prayers and feeling free to sing. Verse 26, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. All at once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. And you know what? I'll presume this means the, their stocks as well. 
So was the earthquake an answer to God's prayer or in an earthquake-prone region? Was it just an earthquake? It occurred. We're told that all the doors flew open at once and all the chains were loosed. Does this mean that Paul and Silas were free to go? At least for a moment? How was the Holy Spirit leading them through this? They were already singing and praying at midnight. Didn't even need to be midnight for it to be dark. They They were singing and praying in the dark. Verse 27 here. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself! We are all here! Remember that guard them carefully thing? This did not look good from the jailer's perspective. He lived from the mind of man. But Paul and Silas, and even the other prisoners loosed from their chains, remained. All, all of them. The doors were open, yet they stayed. These verses bring up all sorts of questions, and I've said it before. When I read through the Bible, I I can come up with lots of questions. There's so much going on that we're not given all the details. We don't we don't see everything. But I like to ask questions. Um, Would escape have been temporary? They could have gotten out, but the alarm would have gone out and they would have been brought back in and then it would be even worse for them. So was it better for them to have stayed? Had the prisoners been intent, the other prisoners, had they been intent on what Paul and Silas were praying and singing? Were they holding a church service, so to speak, in the middle of the prison? Was it, uh, was it that compelling? Was it just a cultural respect for their attitude? Oh, and um, how did Paul know that the jailer was going to kill himself? It's midnight, again, dark, and the jailer isn't in the inner cell. Paul shouted to him. Is Paul suddenly clairvoyant, or was the Holy Spirit leading? I'm going with Holy Spirit. What was Paul's mindset? Paul and Silas, but we have writings. We have other information from Paul. Let's let's have Paul answer this one a little bit. They're in the Philippian prison. Spoiler alert, they do get out and continue their travels. And one of the next stops is Thessalonica. Uh, The map's not there, so. Um, So within a year or two, Paul writes his first letter back to the Thessalonian Christians. So in 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul writes, You yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. You know how badly we had been treated at Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. So you can see we are not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery, for we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. 
Paul didn't uh, deny the hardship, nor did they shrink back from sharing the gospel after their time in Philippi. God gave them the courage to continue boldly declare declare Jesus in his kingdom in spite of great opposition. Their purpose, to please God, not people. And from Paul's letter to the Philippians some ten years later, could he have formulated some new thoughts in a decade? Probably. But I think he was... I think he was already operating out of what he wrote later on. Philippians uh, 2, verse 3, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, some of you um, who were here a couple years ago you might remember Pastor Worth's teaching through Philippians. I thought that was a great series. Um, where uh, here in Philippians 2, he pointed out uh, verses that were possibly an early Christian song. Did Paul and Silas sing this or something like it in the prison? I don't have this on a slide, but here's from uh, Philippians 2. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then this following part is thought to have possibly been an early Christian song. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place And gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now at midnight, that could have been quite a sermon in song. And then just a little bit more from the hand of Paul. Philippians 2 again, verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Paul aimed people to the upward call of Jesus. His outlook was consistent. He lived what he wrote. Even a decade before he wrote it, I believe. I believe what he he taught. He and Silas were shining like stars in the midst of that earthquake-shaken jail with its open doors. They lived from the mind of Christ. Verse Back to Acts 16, verse 29. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So, uh, I had to, I had to read N.T. Wright, one of Worth's favorite, uh, commentators. Uh, he, Wright observes that the jailer was probably not asking these strange visitors for, uh, for a detailed exposition of justification, uh, by grace through faith. He didn't have the 
centuries of Christian teaching and Western mindset. Uh, it could have been along the lines of, how do I get out of this mess? Whatever was behind the jailer's plea, his question was the best open door of the night. Paul and Silas, who were free to stay, were ready to walk right through that one. It's like, I thought you'd never ask. Whether this was the question the jailer was actually asking or not, they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his home. Whatever the situation was, there was something about Paul and Silas that brought that jailer running, trembling before them and asking the question, what must I do to be saved? Afterwards, they spoke the word of the Lord to him. It's not like he had been eavesdropping, I don't think, at midnight. He was asleep. The earthquake woke him up. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. And then, uh, verse 39 continues. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with these orders. Release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates that ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. Note, just a sidelight here, note how the jailer goes from sirs, falling and trembling in verse 30, to a first name basis, at least with Silas in 36. They are now friends and brothers. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No! There's an exclamation mark. No! Let them come themselves and escort us out. I know there's an obvious question here to me. Why does Paul now play the Roman citizen card? Why not before the beating and imprisonment? And Silas standing there? Dude, what? Now? Uh, wouldn't that have made sense to claim Roman citizenship before the beating? Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Where was the Holy Spirit before the beating? Before the inner cell? The Spirit was right inside Paul and Silas, guiding them and leading the way to life and joy for the jailer and his household. Verse 30. Eight. Let's see. Yeah, go to verse 38 now. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they, the magistrates, heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They realized that they had let the slave owners and the mob push them into something that they shouldn't have been pushed into. 
They came to appease Paul and Silas. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. Another version says, begging them to leave the city. So apparently they, they had caused at least that one mob incident. Perhaps there was more buzz going on around them being in Philippi. But perhaps by letting all of these events occur and afterwards claiming their rights as Roman citizens, perhaps Paul and Silas prevented future violence against the new believers in Philippi. The officials were put on notice that even Roman citizens might follow this new way. So now they were free to go, but also free to stay. They had things to do and people to see. In verse 40, after Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house. They stayed in Philippi. They went to Lydia's house where they met the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. Now, I'm not advocating for dark and painful situations in this life, nor does God create them. But he longs to see us, his children, bring light and life and joy in the midst of any situation. And his, and his, power, uh, his spirit empowers us to do it. Christianity is not about finding the easiest path in life or about escaping difficult, painful situations. No, the call of Jesus for our lives is to come closer, let the Holy Spirit lead, and shine for Him and His glory. The Christian life is not about getting out of this messy, dark world and into heaven. It's about heaven getting into us. In Matthew 16, um, Peter is answering Jesus and says, uh, Jesus asks him, who, who do you say that I am? You're the Christ. Jesus says, you're right, but you didn't get this from yourself. That's from the Father. He goes on to state, on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Gates are defensive. Those gates aren't coming at us. We're to be going against those gates and they will not prevail against the church. He'll give us the power and the freedom to go and stay where he leads. Ask that jailer in his household about Paul and Silas and the Jesus they brought that night. So, I'm going to end with just a couple questions. And you know, Worth always leaves us with questions. So it doesn't have to be an inner cell beatings and stocks that you're going through. It might just be a phone call to customer service for something, your, your utilities or whatever. And there's something messed up with the account and, you know, they're just not getting it, or whatever. It might be a slow line at the grocery store, or the wrong food served at a restaurant. 
Start with something simple. In that situation, shine. Shine for Jesus. Be patient. Start with small things. If you're going through something bigger, know that He can get you through anything. So let's put those questions up. In God's power, where are you free to stay? And again, it might be some a small point. Just a small thing. But where are you free to stay in God's power? And then, um, is there a jailer? Is there a jailer in, in your life calling for help? Is there something about your life that would bring someone to fall before you and ask you, what must I do to be saved? Think about those questions. I know week to week, I'm sorry if it feels like, you know, we're, uh, are we drinking from a fire hose? One or two points in, in any message or one or two verses in any song we sing that we could dwell on for a long time and let God work in us and transform us. But in all of it, in all of it, God is, God is really just asking us to give up our lives, our lives that were never what they were meant to be to gain Him and all that we were meant to be.